Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I will be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, how's it going? You know, it's going pretty well, Caleb. We are uh, still, you know, living life, enjoying pregnancy. Uh, I was a little shook, though, whenever your wife reminded me that at 37 weeks, which is what uh, the pregnancy will be at tomorrow for my wife, uh, it's full term, so he can show up anytime. But uh, what's new in your world? Yeah, nothing too new. Um, getting pretty excited here. We're what, about a week and a half away from Penn State football, so it's starting mm-hmm. to feel like football is really back, you know. Yeah. It just, it's it seems when especially whenever the Big Ten canceled the fall season, um, you know, a few months ago, it just seems like this fall was going to be weird. But having sports as a distraction to not have to constantly be worried about this pandemic is uh, is very alleviate or is very relieving to say the least. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course, I say that, and uh, you know, the first thing I want to talk about was the big news of the day. We're recording on Wednesday, and uh, we have found out that Alabama head coach Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID nineteen. He is sixty eight years old, but he turns sixty nine on Halloween. Kale, but having a birthday on on Halloween has to be pretty cool because you know you always have a, you can always have a costume party, but. Uh, I mean, you wrote it in the notes. It's spooky stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, well, at least, especially when you're a kid, you know, you're always guaranteed candy then for your birthday, so that's not a bad bad birthday to have, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian is pretty much taking over offense or coaching. I, I don't even want to say coaching duties. He's supervising everything right now while Saban is down the road at his home. And Saban said pretty vocally at his press conference today that he – intends to be totally participating he was participating in practices today via zoom and will continue to do so gotta love the power of technology making that uh available and we'll talk about this a little bit later but Saban is going into a tough matchup against Georgia where he goes against his former assistant Kirby Smart Nick Saban's 21 and 0 against his former assistants so uh we'll see if uh even if he's virtual, can he pull off and, and go to 22-0? and 0? We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we've seen coaches in the past have COVID and had to miss a game. So we'll see if he's able to zoom in to the sideline or you know up in the booth or something so he can still get his influence in on the game. Yeah. Or if it'll just be Steve Sarkeesian running the show with uh, you know whatever, whatever Nick Saban's game plan is going into the game. Exactly. And, and you know, again, like Saban was, was saying he's going to do all these things, saying he was going to coach through Zoom. We'll see what the reality is. And this is really the first major game that we've seen affected by COVID-19. And so, you know, we'll see what happens next. Um, on another note, another coach testing positive for COVID-19, Les Miles, who is continuing his rebuild project out of Kansas. Uh, we'll I mean, I, I just don't really know uh, how to react to that one simply aside from saying, you know, I hope he gets better soon. Um, but, yeah, two two big-name head coaches. Les Miles, also one of the older coaches in college football. I mean, 
I hope they get well. It, it's good. I know Nick Saban is asymptomatic right now. I think Les Miles is too, and hopefully it stays that way where you know they they aren't getting some of these more extreme conditions we're hearing about. Yeah, and two former LSU head coaches here both having yeah. the corona. But, yeah, I hope the best for Les Miles. I'm not sure if Kansas plays this week or not. Um, Big 12 seems to have been affected here the last couple of weeks. So we'll see if – he will what he will be able to do in the weeks ahead yeah and so you know again saying that let's let's look at some games i mean i'm really regretting saying um you know it's nice to get our mind off covid whenever really all of our news right now is related to covid oklahoma state versus baylor they had a game coming up uh, that's postponed to december why because baylor has a covid outbreak and uh you know, aside from that, we have Missouri versus Vanderbilt postponed due to a Vanderbilt outbreak. Now, this is the first SEC postponement. We'll talk about another one here uh, in a moment, but we're really starting to see a lot of SEC um, postponements and, and COVID outbreaks starting to occur. And I've seen some people on Twitter saying, you know, oh my goodness, I'm so surprised. And they're saying that sarcastically, I think because of I think because of some of the more like lax, like I don't even want to call them laxed guidelines because a guy like, you know, Nick Saban was fo- was following protocols to an incredible degree and still was able to contract it. But I think just in, in general, the uh, perception of it, Vanderbilt only had 56 out of 85 scholarship players available last week. So that's going to be a tough challenge for them. And then uh, another game here, Florida versus LSU is postponed because of a surge of cases at Florida. Caleb, whenever you look at these three games, which one of these, because they're postponed right now, but you never know, it could get to a point where it can't go on and they have to, they have to sort of squash it. Which of these three games or which of these six teams do you think will be most impacted by not being able to play their game um, due to COVID? I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. You know, they are the final remaining unbeaten team in the Big 12, and I think they need to remain unbeaten for the whole season in order to get a chance at a college football playoff berth. So having one fewer game, you know, that brings them one closer to the Big 10 schools. That brings them one closer to the Pac-12 schools in terms of the limiting number of games that they're able to play. So if Oklahoma State can't get this game in, and, you know, even if they're still undefeated, you know, in 10 and 0 instead of 11 and 0 at the end of the season that could be a could be a pretty big deal for them. Yeah, it's a totally different perception change there and and you're right, you know, otherwise that conference is not going to be playing uh championship ball. So uh, we'll see what happens there. The Pac-12 is prepared to allow families if at all possible to games. Uh, obviously states like uh like California are being a little uh tougher to to get things open and up and running and, and everything. They're trying to follow their guidelines, but um, players have continued to say, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to stay safe. So you know, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, regarding that. And uh, this was some news that Caleb and I, we, we think we heard a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was just that it got finalized this week. The NCAA has ruled and said that teams will not have to have a record of 500 in order to qualify for bowls this year. We've seen that a little bit over the last few years where like a team that's like one under can still potentially qualify for a bowl. But for the most part, it's been, you have to meet the 500 threshold NCAA saying not this year. Kelby like that call. Yeah. I mean, 
I think I've already seen some of the bowl games are canceled. The Hawaii Bowl, the um, what's it, the Puerto Rico, the Jamaica Bowl, something like that. Some of these mm-hmm. internet more international bowls have already been canceled for the year, so there will be fewer of them. So maybe we have enough teams that hit that 500 requirement to make the bowl games. But you know, that's definitely a thing that if you want to obviously fill all your bowl games, which I think college mm-hmm. football does want to do that, you might have to dip into that pool of teams that are maybe going four and five or five and six this year instead of getting to that six and six record or five and five record that, you know, they've had in the past to get to that 500 mark. Yeah. And especially considering everything that's going on this year, it, it'll just be nice to be able to give, you know, a lot or to give teams that would usually not be able to qualify to play some ball in uh late December, January, a shot at that. So um, going to be yeah. very interesting to see what that bowl lineup is going to look like, Caleb. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, hopefully they prioritize teams that do make it to 500. So a team that makes yeah. it to five and five, that it's at a group of five school, a smaller school, hopefully they get in over like a four and six SEC team or something like that just to boost mm-hmm. ratings. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. All right, Caleb, let's look at uh, this past week of games. All right. I'm calling this the week of the shootout. It seemed like – Defenses were non-existent this past weekend, and that started with number 21, Texas A&M, upsetting number four, Florida, 41 to 38. Florida had the ball with a couple minutes to go and fumbled it. Texas A&M recovered, and they would not give the ball back to Florida as they kicked a 26-yard field goal to win it. Right at the end, their kicker, Seth Small, made it through the uprights. Um, Florida's quarterback, we talked about him a lot this year, Kyle Trask, 23 of 32 for 312 yards. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. Only one to Kyle Pitts this weekend, two to their top receiver, Kadarius Toney. However, on the other side, Kellen Mond had a good game for Texas A&M, 25-35 for 338 yards and three touchdowns. But I was even more impressed with their running back, Isaiah Spiller. No relation to C.J. Spiller. I did look that up. 27 carries, 174 yards and two touchdowns, and he was just running over Florida defenders all day. This felt like a signature win that Kellen Mond ha- has needed to kind of solidify his place. I know I've been pretty critical of him for comments that he's made, and um, you know he finally has stepped up in one of these games. So you know, big kudos to him. What a phenomenal performance! Twenty-five of thirty-five, you know, over three hundred yards and those touchdowns. Great performance. I know. I I believe it was not this past week, but the week before. Uh, Pitts was averaging about I think one touchdown a quarter or one touchdown a half or something. Uh, and obviously, you know, only getting one touchdown in this game was tough, but still an impressive specimen overall. And, you know, it, it doesn't look like in this game necessarily anybody had a bad day. It just seemed like on this day, Jimbo Fisher showed up with his with his Aggies and they did the job right, you know? Yeah, some I'd seen some people on TV, on ESPN, on Fox, wherever, on CBS, talking about how they were a little worried about Florida's defense, and that definitely came to fruition today, giving up the 41 points this weekend and finally getting that upset. So it just puts them at a, behind the eight ball a little bit if they want to make the college football playoff as they still have Georgia on their schedule. And then if they win that game, still playing in the SEC title game against presumably Alabama in that game. So still uh, now with this loss, a tall task for them to make it back to the college football playoff committee. For, uh, yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. Now what I'm really interested in, in hearing a little bit more about, and I didn't, I think I caught like the last like player two of this was uh, the Missouri game, Caleb. 
Yeah, Missouri stuns number 17, LSU, 45-41. This game was moved from LSU to Missouri due to Hurricane Delta, so hopefully everyone down in Louisiana is safe and recovering from the storm. Um, Missouri got the ball down, or sorry, LSU got the ball down to the one-yard line with about 30 to 40 seconds to go, so four chances to put in a touchdown and win the game. LSU down four points, so a field goal does you no good. Ran the ball, didn't work. Hurried right back to the line of scrimmage, ran the exact same play, still didn't work, called a timeout. Then they tried two different passing plays, and both were incomplete passes. One, The last one was almost intercepted, which wouldn't have really made too big of a difference. And that was it. LSU now is unranked, and that is, uh, it's been a long time since a former champion has been unranked. Missouri's quarterback, Connor Bazalik, 29-34, just five incompletions for over 400 yards and four touchdowns. Whew. And Missouri put a lot on their defense in this game as they lost three fumbles in this game. LSU had zero turnover. So they Missouri tried to give this game to LSU and they still couldn't take advantage. Miles Brennan also had a good game, 29 to 48 for 430 yards and four touchdowns. And Terrence Marshall is making everyone forget about Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and all the talented receivers that LSU has lost recently. He had 11 catches, 235 yards and three touchdowns in this game. He just seemed like he was playing, you know, he was the NFL player and everyone else was playing like high school football with with when he ever they were targeting him. He caught everything in sight uh, until they finally they did try to finally give it to him on fourth down. But the cornerback made a nice play and undercut the route and was able to force the incompletion in this one. I mean, I know that, that we're going to continue to say where were defenses this weekend, but at least at one point whenever Missouri needed to step up in this situation, they were able to do so and, and beat LSU. It's got to be tough if you're Coach O. And and I think I said this last week too. I mean, you lost like 18 starters, your offensive, your defensive coordinators. You lost your passing team coordinator. And so really you're down to your bare bones of what last year was, which was one of, and I've heard many refer to it as the best, uh, performance by a college football team in in their memories to then you know losing two straight and losing them to teams that really they they would have easily put away before and now being unranked um yeah i'm i'm trying to think caleb who was the last national championship to or na- last national champion to go unranked this quickly and, um, Auburn went unranked. I don't know how quickly it was, 2011 yeah. Auburn, but yeah, that they was were thinking. Yeah. yeah, they even started. I think LSU was preseason number six. Auburn was preseason in the teens somewhere, so they had uh, less room for error in their in their opening season. Gotcha. Well, uh, Caleb, overall, watching the uh, watching the the games that were starting at noon for college football, they were vastly better than the 3:30. And of course, that was the time that you know I was out and running some errands, getting stuff ready for the nursery. And so I came back and and you know I told you like, I just don't know what th- what three thirty game I want to watch. And that was whenever you uh, you were saying you know watching this Oklahoma game, which I didn't realize was on. And um, you know that's my quarantine. That's my quarantine, man. <laughs> and uh, Oklahoma played a great game in the Red River rivalry against Texas, number twenty two. Oklahoma won an incredible. Four overtime thriller, fifty-three to forty-five. I mean, really, just very impressive. Um, the way that the first and second overtime worked, both teams got touchdowns. 
third overtime, missed block uh, field goal, and then fourth overtime, uh, Oklahoma had a touchdown, and then Texas was, you know, I don't want to say driving because it's not really much of a drive, but uh, Sam Ellinger threw the pass, and it looked like he kind of, I'm trying to remember how this one was because there were defenders on two different sides. I think he had underthrown it and uh, got picked off, but uh, overall, a great game. Oklahoma quarterback, uh, Sam Rattler, the redshirt freshman, was 23 for 35, 209 yards, three touchdowns, and, and an interception. Although it is important to point out that, or, you know, it's worth pointing out, uh, Rattler got benched. And there's there was some talk about injury. I think some others, too, uh, about him just looking like the – like he wasn't, or like the situation was too big for him. Tanner Mordecai came in, played well, and eventually Rattler came back in and uh, finished the game strong. Running back TJ Pledger, 22 carries, 131 yards, and two touchdowns. And Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger, I mean, again, Oklahoma's my quarantine, but man, I couldn't help but root for this guy with how he was playing. He was 30 for 53, 287 yards, two touchdowns. Now, he did also have uh, two interceptions which is, you know, obviously disappointing. But I think I'll forgive him because he had 23 carries, 112 yards, and four rushing touchdowns. So, holy cow, was he on fire. Um, And it just stinks that he went down, or that it went down the way it did, Caleb. Yeah, that one rushing touchdown in overtime was an amazing run. Probably Mm -hmm. wasn't holding on one of the offensive players there, but they didn't call it, so it counts all the same. Um, yeah, Sam Ellinger played a great game despite the two interceptions. Spencer Rattler played a great second half in overtime after getting benched in the first. Yeah, there was some confusion. He was getting looked at, but there was also reports he got benched. I think officially he was benched, but okay. you know, maybe it was maybe this was a coach's way of you know just getting his head back on straight and you know saying hey, you're a great player, go out and show us that you're a great player, and I think it worked out. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that's all you need is a quick shock to the system just to remind you that, that you are a stellar player. And he came out, and, he, and like you said, he played it. So it was good. Yeah, I think it also helped. They finally had a running game. TJ Pledger came in mm-hmm. here and stepped up. Seth McGowan was out. And yeah. it seems like TJ Pledger is the better running back with the 131 yards and two touchdowns. Well, maybe they'll keep it that way then. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, next game here, number seven, Miami. The U is not back. They got blown out by number one, Clemson, 42-17. to 17. Trevor Lawrence, 29 29- 41, 293 yards, three passing touchdowns. He also added a rushing touchdown. And Travis Etienne could not be stopped either. 17 carries for 149 yards and two rushing touchdowns. First bad game, I'd say, this year for De'Ara King of Miami. 12 of 28 for 121 yards and two interceptions. He did have 84 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown, so that balanced out his passing a little bit. And really the only time Miami was really in this game when they got a blocked 61-yard field goal right before halftime that they were able to return for a touchdown. So, you know, take that away. And Miami's only at 10 points. And that the touchdown that De'Ara King had rushing was late in the fourth quarter when the game was far, you know, far and away ended. Mm-hmm. Caleb, do you feel like there's anybody playing better uh, better football at running back than Travis Etienne running back? <laughs> no, I mean... We were surprised. Everyone was surprised when he decided to come back for his senior year and try to win a national championship for Clemson with how short you know, the lifespan is for running backs in the NFL. We thought he'd go and try to make as much money as he could before before you know his time was up in the at the NFL level, but he decided to come back and 
He may have been the first running back taken in the draft last year, and he's looking even better this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's just a he's a terrifying running back to go against. It just seemed like any time he was touching the ball, there was an opportunity for dynamic play to happen. And, you know, obviously his stats speak for themselves, and, and it was very clear that he was going to be playing uh, or that he was playing phenomenal ball. Derek King, you know, 12 for 28, like you said, with 121 yards. Um, and part of that was his fault. And it's, you know, whenever you're playing against a defensive front like Kemp, like Clemson, who was just absolute, who was again absolutely terrifying to play against. Um, you know, you're gonna mess up. But there's there's also some play by receivers where, you know, whether it was the route or, um, you know, just not not following through on the catch. Dear King, Dr. King was not bailed out of situations by his wide receivers, is what we will say in this case. But um, he's obviously still an incredibly talented quarterback. And uh, I'm, I'll be very curious to see how they overcome this adversity because, like you said, it feels like every year they say, Miami's back, Miami's back. And this is the first time that I genuinely started to think that. And then, um, no. One thing that's been kind of bumming me out recently, though, too, is kill these Saturday night games. I mean, I love that time. And, and usually we get some really stellar performances where even, like, the lower-ranked team just – just plays up to a great degree. I feel like we haven't had one of those games yet this year. What do you think about that? Yeah, this game on ABC definitely was not it. We'll get to one to the Alabama game in a little bit here. That was also, uh, I think, a seven o'clock game on ESPN. So maybe if you had switched channels over to ESPN, that was a that was a much better game in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Next game here, we'll talk about number three Georgia dominating the second half. For the second time this year, this time over number 14, Tennessee, they win 44 to 21, ending Tennessee's eight game win streak, which is really not too surprising. Georgia did trail 21 17 at halftime. Uh, they had a fourth and goal from the one with one or two seconds to go. And they tried to punch it in, run ball in, but they were stuffed. That was their second time going for it on fourth down where they did not make it. But the second half came around and they turned on the gas pedal. Tennessee wide receiver Josh Palmer, just four catches on the day, but two touchdowns, um, and that's because Tennessee could not run the ball. They had negative one yards rushing. As we said, every team, you know, week of the shootout, every team going for offense, no defense. Georgia is still that one team that I think is focused and really ready to go on defense, at least early on in the season, um, showing that they shut out Tennessee here in the second half. Maybe they weren't quite ready in the first half, and they have a tough test against Alabama next week, but... They definitely stepped up to the stepped up that in the second half. Georgia quarterback Stenson Bennett the fourth, his he getting another start here. Sixteen to twenty-seven, two hundred thirty-eight yards and two touchdowns, as Georgia won the overall total yards battle, four thirty-one to two fourteen. So about a two-to-one advantage there for Georgia over Tennessee. Yeah, and you know my pick for Tennessee. I- over Georgia last week and who you got, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty good. And then the second half came around Stetson Bennett is, is just playing great ball. I know that he is, or he was originally coming in at the start of the season, just to sort of pinch hit while they wait for, Oh, Kelp, I'm forgetting his name now. JT Daniels. Yes. Thank you. While waiting for the USC transfer JT Daniels to play, but he's playing really good football. I mean, we'll see. I'm sure they'll let, uh, JT Daniels play whenever he's healthy and ready, but I mean, could be a short leash for him knowing what you got in Bennett so far. 
Yeah, Bennett. Yeah, I think Daniels is technically cleared to play, but maybe he's not 100%. So maybe that's why they're keeping him off the field. Yeah, as we said, they have that big test coming up. So we'll see if Kirby Smart makes any quarterback changes during that game if one of his quarterbacks is not playing up to the standards. Yeah. Next up here, another top 25 battle. This time, my quarantine, number eight, North Carolina, holding off number 19, Virginia Tech, 56 to 45. Again, another really high scoring game. Uh, UNC came out of this one on fire, going up 21 0 in the first quarter. At one point, they also led 42 to 17 before Virginia Tech tried to make a comeback and make this game close. Uh, North Carolina was able to hold them off, as I said. Sam Howell finally had his first really good game of the season, 18-23 for 257 yards and three touchdowns. But honestly, he didn't have to do too much as his running back duo of Michael Carter and Javante Williams absolutely gashed the Virginia Tech defense. 17 carries for 214 yards and two touchdowns for Carter, 20 carries for 169 yards and another two touchdowns for Williams. So, yeah, about 400 yards and four touchdowns just for those two guys. Um, Virginia Tech's running back Khalil Herbert had a good day too, 18 carries for 138 yards and two more touchdowns. And then Hendon Hooker, who they were kind of switching back and forth with quarterbacks here, um, with Burmeister and Hooker. Hooker, uh, led more of the comeback, especially the second half comeback. He had three total touchdowns, two passing and one rushing in this game. Yeah, I mean, it was an impressive performance by UNC. I'm going to give a shout out to one of our listeners, my uh, my good friend Todd Risser, who I work with, and he texted me uh, during the game just saying, wow, North Carolina is really ranked number eight, and it is surprising, uh, especially with how the season started, with how quiet UNC was, and just by how sort of lackluster Sam Howe, somebody that a lot of uh, a lot of scouts have referred to as one of the top quarterback prospects for the upcoming draft, was just really not having a, a great start to the season. I think he was able to silence some critics uh, through this performance, and Mac Brown gets another great victory under his program for this win, or after this win. I'm going to be very interested to see how the Tar Heels finish this season based on how they have started, and uh, just seeing if they can continue this momentum the, the whole way through the season. They've proven that they can win some close games, and uh, here you know, they were able to come up to a commanding lead, and even whenever their opponents started to fight back, they were able to ensure that they, uh, they kept the W. Yeah, good win by the Tar Heels in this one. Mm-hmm. All right, the game I mentioned earlier, number two, Alabama, winning this back-and-forth battle over Ole Miss, 63-48, another assistant, former assistant for Nick Saban as he's going up against, um, oh, why can't I think of his name? Lame, Arlene Kiffin. Kiffin. Yes, <laughs> Lane Kiffin. Um, and if you love stats, you will love this game. Mac Jones for Alabama, 417 yards passing, two touchdowns. But it was really their running game that they got that finally set them off. You know, we were talking about the wide receivers a lot the first couple of weeks. This time, Najee Harris, 23 carries, 206 yards rushing, and five rushing touchdowns on the day. Ooh. The wide receivers still had good games, though. Don't worry. Devonta Smith, 164 yards on 13 catches and a touchdown. Jalen Waddle, six catches for 120 yards. Mississippi or sorry, Ole Miss running backs, Snoop Connor, 21 carries, 128 yards, and two touchdowns. Jerion Ely, 19 carries, 120 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Matt Corral, the quarterback, had 365 yards and two passing touchdowns. And Kenny Yaboa, the, uh, I think he's a, technically a tight end, actually, had 181 yards and two touchdowns, both uh, the touchdowns that Corral throw. He uh, transferred out, I think, from Temple. 
And uh, he put on a show today against Alabama. I did see after the game, Nick Saban was kind of complaining a little bit. He thought that Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss had some of the signs that Alabama was using. But um, if you think that, I mean, Nick Saban's been gone a couple, or sorry, Lane Kiffin's been gone a couple of years. He went and coached, uh, what, you, FAU or FIU or something? Yeah, FAU or FIU. So if you're using the same hand signals and whatnot, you know, three or four years later, then maybe that you need to change your signals. Yeah, seriously. I mean, the the whole like uh, signs or the whole like stealing thing in, in football, I'm just kind of like whatever about and i think part of that is that you know i haven't been a coach yet and so um you know hopefully someday with my boy um but i just i just think you know there, there are ways that you can work around that and i'm just i'm wondering if that was what led to Ole Miss giving alabama such a fight in a game that i honestly expected alabama to obliterate Ole miss in uh, you know was it the signs or was Ole Miss able to expose some cracks in the Crimson Tide? Uh, I will we'll be able to find out because I'm sure Kirby Smart is a smart guy, like what I did there, and yeah. uh, he'll be able to identify those same cracks that Kiffin did and identify more if they are there. And uh, so it should be an interesting, interesting uh, future there. I'm impressed by what I'm seeing out of Ole Miss, even though it was a loss, being able to put up 48 points in this game. Uh, and Matt Corral is is just having a really good season at quarterback. I've heard many people referring to him as one of the top SEC quarterbacks. So good for him and uh, good for Ole Miss to, to be able to lose this game, but still look pretty, still look pretty good, Caleb. Yeah, they were. I was listening to this game on the radio as I was driving home Saturday night, and yeah, they said they had a couple. Two bad snaps. I think both were on third down. So mm. one led to Ole Miss punting. They had the lead for most of the first half. They they would score first, and Alabama would respond, you know, 7-7, 14-14, etc. And then another one was, uh, again, on a third down, and that forced them to uh, kick a field goal instead of, you know, get a potentially game-tying touchdown. So, you know, maybe a little – you need to work on their exchanges there a little bit. They didn't mention that it was one of the, it was either the first or second time all game that Corral went under center and that's when they fumbled the snap. Mm. So, you know, maybe stay in the pistol or shotgun formation if you're, if that's maybe what you're going to do that when playing number two, Alabama. Yeah. Pro tip. <laughs> they also mentioned on the broadcast that uh, Snoop Connor, his rushing line, having 120 yards and two touchdowns, which it looks like both running backs got actually. They're the first running back. Well, he was the first running back, Connor at least, to have that line against Alabama since Ezekiel Elliott in the college football playoff a few years ago. So wow. that's how good Alabama's run defense has been. That's wild. Yeah. All right, final game we'll talk about here. Number 13, Auburn, escaping on a last-second field goal over Arkansas. Arkansas is really putting up a fight this year. Yeah, seriously. This time they won 30-28. to 28. Auburn kicker Anders Carlson kicking a 39-yard field goal. He uh, missed one on the drive right before that, so he got his redemption in. Uh, Felipe Franks, another good game for him. 22 of 30 for 318 yards and four touchdowns. Two of those were to Devion Warren. Bo Nix, 17-28, 187 yards, two touchdowns, one of those being a rushing touchdown. And, yeah, they were able to get some yards on the ground as Tank Bigsby, their running back, 20 carries for 146 yards. No touchdowns, though, on the day. Yeah, I mean, 
you got to be a little nervous uh, being Auburn right now and, and almost dropping out to Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas is definitely rising in the SEC again, but Arkansas already has struggled a little this season, and um, it, this could just be a, a compounding issue for them. Great job for Felipe Franks uh, and, and his performance there, like you already said. And uh, I'm wondering how long it's going to be – or. I'm curious to see if we see a ranked Arkansas here again. Uh, and I, I know that it's been since like the Ryan, I think it was Ryan Mallett, Derek McFadden days since Arkansas was really a threat in the SDC. But I wonder if this season is a beginning of a resurgence for the school program. Yeah, it could be. Um, they just fired their coach, uh, the former Wisconsin coach recently, right? So maybe mm-hmm. this new coach is turning things around. Could be. All right, Caleb, you ready to talk Penn State? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So wide receiver John Dunmore, who was a four-star recruit at Penn State, uh, this is some unfortunate news, has left the program. Um, Hopefully everything's okay. According to uh, 24-7 Sports, he is not currently in the transfer portal, So, uh, and that's as of today, Wednesday. Not sure what's up, Uh, but losing a wide receiver recruit, Caleb, I mean, that's going to be tough for Penn State, who – has already gone through a number of wide receiver coaches as of late. Yeah, I mean, from what I heard, he left for a personal reason, so he's not even enrolled in school right now. I think he's at home. So, yeah, that's why we say everything. Hope everything's okay. But, yeah, obviously you lost K.J. Hamler to the draft for the Broncos. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, he hasn't done too much. He's been injured most of the season so far. Justin Shorter transferred to Florida. He hasn't done much down in Florida, despite Kyle Trask being maybe the best quarterback in the SEC right now. And so, you know, while we, I'm not sure we haven't seen a depth, a depth chart in quite a while for Penn State, I guess we'll see one next week. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know where John Dunmore is. He's one of the three starters. Is he, you know, the third team receiver? But, you know, with all those losses and with so much uncertainty and, um, you know, Jahan Dotson really being the only proven wide receiver on the team right now, it's it hurts to lose depth. You know, we don't know if he'll be good or not, but it hurts to lose that depth. Yeah, so, um, well, we really need some freshman sensations, I guess. But yeah, I think we have a couple a couple shots at that. We'll see if any of them hit any of them. Yeah, we got, yeah, like you said, we got a lot of good talent coming in there. A couple game time updates for you all. The season opener against Indiana, which is at Indiana, is going to be a 3.30 p.m. game. And uh, on Halloween day at 7.30 p.m. at Beaver Stadium in Happy Valley, the Ohio State Buckeyes roll into town. And then the uh, game against Michigan will be a noon game. Kale, be pleased with these game times. Yeah, I think even with no fans, it's not a surprise to see Penn State, Ohio State be the primetime game there on ABC. Mm-hmm. And then it does seem like when we play road against Michigan, which is the case this year, it's usually an early start time game, not a late game for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned before, we have struggled at Michigan in the past. So hopefully this year we can turn things around. Yeah, shut things down in the big house. And uh, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is already... With uh, with the way contract talks, I apparently are are getting at, um, he still has not quite lived up to the hype that I think a lot of us were expecting him to, being the coach of the Wolverines. But uh, yeah, hopefully Penn State 
I mean, hopefully we can take care of things in the big house. I think we can. I think we can beat Indiana. Might be a little challenging, but I think we can beat them. Ohio State. I mean, if we had fans in the stadium, it would be a different thing. But um, I, I guess we just haven't seen this team play enough. But if they, if it's like last year, and uh, if Jahan Dotson and Pat Farmer are the only two like real receiving threats, I mean, it's going to be tough for Clifford to to lead that team to a victory. Yeah. Now, that being said, we're still looking pretty good in the polls, ranked number nine in the AP, number eight in the coaches. Nothing has changed, which is a little bit surprising considering all the upheaval of last week, but I'm assuming they were just moving some other teams around that were playing, and uh, so we'll see what's in store for Penn State up here in the future. Yeah, I think a team like Florida may have dropped below us, but mm-hmm. Texas a may have jumped ahead of us or some, something like that. Yeah. And this sort of moves, I mean, they make sense. You get those signature wins, you should get rewarded for it. And uh, so that's good. Yep. All right, and now uh, shifting gears from Penn State, our favorite team, to our quarantine teams, we're going to go ahead and, and give a quick few remarks regarding uh, regarding our teams, mine being Oklahoma. Obviously, after two, uh, after the first time losing uh, two games since, what was it again, Caleb, the 90s? Is that right? Yeah, Bob Stoops' first year. Yeah, Bob Stoops' first year. There you go. Um, finally gets back on the winning track, winning the Red River rivalry. Say that five times fast against uh, Texas. This could be a spark. Uh, I am I am inclined to think that this was an awakening for them. I think two losses in, in a row really shook the Sooners. I think Lincoln Riley is, like I continue to say, is an incredible coach. And so I don't see this just being a little hiccup in the schedule. I see this being a sign of of good things to come. I think the benching of Spencer Rattler just to kind of be like, hey, man, calm down, deep breaths, you're a good quarterback, was a good call. And I think that that's something that is going to ultimately serve Rattler well in this upcoming season. They do have a bye week before playing TCU on the 24th of October, so they also have plenty of time to prepare against the Horned Frogs. Um, but yeah, Oklahoma is going to stay unranked, and I really think they're going to have to prove it with a few big wins to to get back in the rankings. How do you feel about it, Caleb? Yeah, they'll definitely have to, you know, get some wins in there, and then with as the you know Big Ten starts that day, Pac-12 will start a couple weeks later, so they'll have even more competition to make it back into the polls. But a win over TCU will be a good win, a solid win, as uh, Texas lost to them earlier in the year. So we'll see if, uh, you know, a week off, maybe some more upsets, and then an Oklahoma win maybe gets them back into the top 25. Right. All right, moving on to my team, my quarantine, North Carolina. Uh, just some thoughts I had. So as we as I mentioned during the game recap, they had leads of 21 nothing and 42-17. Um, so a couple of things I think North Carolina has to still work on. A couple of drops in in that second quarter that led to – Virginia Tech coming back a little bit. It was 21 nothing, then it was 21-14, just like that. So hopefully the wide receivers work on catching the ball. Diami Brown had a drop or two, and he's a really talented guy. So, you know, work on those. You can't have something like that happen against the likes of Clemson and Notre Dame and, you know, be able to afford those and still be able to win. The other one, you know, just was bad defense, you know, allowing the comeback. Maybe they let off the gas pedal since they're up so big, up by 25 points. They did get the stops when they needed to, so you got to be happy with that. But I'm sure Mac Brown and the defense will be working on, you know, a full 60 minute effort for their next game. Um, some notes that the broadcast brought up 
So Virginia Tech has had quite a season. They've had their first two games either postponed or canceled with all the COVID cases that were on campus. The first game, they had 23 players and four coaches miss. The next game, 21 players and two coaches. And then for this game, only, in quotes, 15 players in this game. And all coaches were available for the first time all season in this game. Um, the large majority of those, I think, you know, somewhere between six and nine of those players were defensive backs. And then one or two either got injured or I think one may have been called for targeting the game. So that's why Sam Hell, I think, was able to pick apart the defense a little bit more. Mm. Their next week... They uh, they play again this weekend. They play at Florida State. Florida State has dominated this series all time, leading 15-3 and one tie. But UNC won their last meeting, 37-35 in 2016, and that was their second win in a row. So Florida State had won first, 15 of the first 17. North Carolina's won a couple in a row here, and we'll get to our picks a little bit later for that to see if North Carolina, we think, will win again. Uh, North Carolina is up to rank number five in the AP poll, six in the mm. coaches poll. That is their highest ranking since 1997 when Mac Brown was coaching North Carolina for the first time. <laughs> so Mac Brown is clearly what the, apparently what North Carolina needs in a coach. He's the secret sauce for sure. I mean, Caleb, if they, I, I can't remember their schedule or actually I don't even think I looked at their full schedule yet, but, um, do you think this is something they can sustain where they are able to pull it off and, and slip into the playoffs here? I, I've got it pulled up now, or I've got the next uh, few pulled up. Yeah, I know uh, they don't play Clemson in the regular season. They do play yeah. Notre Dame, so Notre that would Dame be one. Miami. Yeah, they play Notre Dame and Miami. So, yeah, obviously you got to win at least one of those and maybe both of those if you want to play in the, in the ACC championship game. And as we said before, you know, Big 12's on the outside looking in right now. Pac-12 has a has a high hill to climb with only playing seven games. So if North Carolina can get to that nat- or ACC title game, conference title game, um, undefeated against the undefeated Clemson team, and he can kind of keep it close, you know, don't lose by 25 like Miami did, maybe they have a chance even with a loss against Clemson. Yeah. All right, let's get into our picks. Yep. Last week we both went five and four, so we are still tied at thirty-five wins apiece, thirty-five and eighteen overall. Not our best week. Not our best week. Let's see if we can do a little better this time. First game Friday night, number seventeen SMU, a six and a half point favorite at Tulane. This all-time series is tied thirteen to thirteen. Although SMU has won the last five. Phil, who you got? Tulane's been playing well this season, but I have I have SMU in this game. I think that they have uh, been for the past two years now. You know, we're seeing this program surge again, and so uh, I think SMU makes it, winning the last six. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'm taking SMU as well. As you said, Tulane has put up a fight this year, but I think SMU is the better team, even though it's on the road and on a Friday night. But yeah, I will take SMU to take over the all-time series lead in this one. Yeah. Next game, yeah, next game we have. Man, I'm just tripping over my words tonight. Number 15 BYU is a five and a half point favorite at Houston on Friday night. Uh, Houston had finally played their first game after three cancellations, and it was a victory over Tulane. Caleb, who you got? I'm taking Houston. If you can get a win in your first game, I think that means you're a pretty good team. Houston has mm-hmm. been sitting there waiting Dana Holgerson and his team finally to play a game, and they were able to do it. This time they get some home cooking against BYU, who 
you know, struggled just a little bit in their last game. They only won by seven. We said they had blown out their first three opponents. This time it was a seven-point win over UTSA. Not really a great team. Houston much better than them, so I think they pulled off. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I like Houston in this game as well, Caleb. I think that um, I, I just am not sold on BYU. Uh, I mean, yeah, they had that great win against Navy, but what we saw this season is is that that isn't necessarily uh, as impressive of a win as uh, anticipated. I think Houston comes into it well, like you like you said in the previous game with SMU. It's a Friday night game, and so you know all bets are off. And it seems crazy to me that a one day different or like a one day change can make a difference, but that's another day of preparation. Uh, I think Houston wins this game. Next up, we got Pitt at number 13, Miami, who is a 10.5-point favorite. Both these teams are coming off a loss. Pitt coming off its second straight loss, losing in overtime to Boston College on a missed extra point. They've had some real kicking issues at Pitt this year. Phil, who you got? Miami's angry. They're upset. They got embarrassed by Clemson. I'm pretty sure. Did did they have a defender ejected, too, for targeting? I think so. Yeah, I, I was thinking so too. That won't be playing in the first half. So a little bit of bitter, a little bit of anger, does not spell good things for the Pitt Panthers as uh, the Hurricanes are going to come in, and I think they're going to come in like a Category Four man and, and wreak some havoc. Caleb, who you got? I am taking the U as well for the bounce back. I think you know, obviously Pitt has to be angry too, coming off two straight losses, going from ranked to unranked now for a couple of weeks here. But um, I'm thinking this is going to be a low-scoring game. Pitt is known for their defense and their defensive line. Miami, you know, they have some. The Air King has been great. But um, I'm going with the low-scoring game. So I'll take the under 10.5-point victory, but I'll still take Miami in this game. Okay. Next game we have, Liberty is a 3.5-point favorite against Syracuse. And Liberty is 4-0 and right now. Uh, last week, a l- little note on special teams. Special teams often overlooked, but always important. Uh, Liberty managed to score on two blocked muffed punts last week, so good job to them. Uh, like I said, Liberty three-and-a-half-point favorite over Syracuse. Caleb, who you got? I will take Liberty in this one. You know, this is a pretty tight game, I think, but I think Liberty, they've been playing well. They're riding that high. Um, they got that transfer from Auburn at quarterback, so they probably have the better quarterback in this matchup, and I will take Liberty to pull off this road victory. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I mean, as I'm, as I'm looking through the schedule, I always feel like there's one or two games where the favorite well, obviously, just where like the upset is has that potential and that's how i'm feeling in this game i'm picking syracuse not too confidently but more so just because from the other slate of games um i had a hard time finding a an upset that i was comfortable with liberty four and oh i could see this being a game that where they dropped the four and one they're playing it at syracuse uh against the orange but i mean we'll see what happens i have syracuse i'm not a thousand percent sure but I'm, I'm just trying to do some law of averages here for uh for my pick score, Caleb. <laughs> All right, next game, number 11, Texas A&M, six-and-a-half-point favorite at Mississippi State. Mississippi State lost 24-2 to last week. K.J. Costello mm-hmm. going from 600 yards to four interceptions in this past game. Phil, who you got? I think that we see Mississippi's offense get back on track. I think we see them score more points. I think we see uh, Keisha Costello throwing some more touchdowns, 
but I think it's on a losing effort. I think Kellen Mond said a lot this last game and and finally put his money where his mouth is and uh, and performed well. I got Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. Caleb, who you got? I'm taking a and too, but yeah, I don't feel too great about this. You know, Costello coming off a couple bad performances now. I think he'll have a rebound at some point. But um, I'm going to put my faith in Jimbo Fisher. He's going to, you know, not let his team have a letdown after their big win. You know, tell his team he's got to keep it up if they want to, you know, continue to have a great season. And I think they will pull this one off. I like it. Next game here we have number 15, Auburn, a three-point favorite at South Carolina. South Carolina is 1-2, and two, lost to Tennessee and Florida. So, you know, not too surprising, I guess. They did beat Vanderbilt 41 41- to seven last week Caleb who you got yeah we mentioned earlier Vanderbilt was down about 30 scholarship players but and they also stink so (laughs) good for South Carolina to get back on track yeah they have they put a little bit of a scare into Tennessee not quite as much into Florida so I think this is going to be a really close game I think the three-point line is a really solid line here but I will take Auburn in this one I'll say Bo Nix finally has his first really good game of the year and pulls it off for Auburn. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think this is an awakening, a, a renaissance, if you will, for Bo Nix and, and embracing the quarterback position this year. Doing a good job passing, balancing that with his ability to make plays with his legs, too. I got Auburn in this one. Next up, the what I would... What, most people are calling the game of the year. Number three, Georgia at number two, Alabama. Alabama is a six-point favorite. I'll have to see if that line changes at all with Nick Saban potentially not being able to, you know, with him not being able to be on the sideline. I think it's Alabama. gone down two points maybe. Wow. Um, Alabama is the number one offense so far this year, averaging more than 50 points a game. Georgia, the number five defense, averaging just about 12 points a game allowed. Phil, who you got? This is a tough one, man. Uh, it's – it's two incredibly talented teams, and in, and in this game, you know, we just saw a huge curveball thrown with uh, Nick Saban and COVID nineteen, um, you know, taking him not out, well, basically taking him out of the game. I know that he says he's going to do everything through Zoom, but uh, that's going to be tough. That being said, I think Nick Saban is the greatest coach to ever coach college football. And so I believe in him. I believe in his program. Uh, I think that that offense is clicking, and that's terrifying to me uh, because I just I want Bama to lose so, so bad. Uh, but I think between that and what they usually are able to put together in these games on defense and just put together on defense in general, I think we're going to see Roll Tide. Caleb, who you got? I'm going with the Bulldogs. I'm going to go with the defensive side here. Georgia's defense has been one of the few up to task this season. Um, when I was looking up these uh, these defensive stats, one team uh, surprised noticing there, Oklahoma State's a really good defense, which is you don't see too often for the Big 12. So maybe that's why they're undefeated so far this year. So good for them. But uh, yeah, I'll take Georgia in this one. I don't really know how much ga- how much um, how important this game is. You know, they're on different sides of the conference, yeah. Georgia being in the East, Alabama in the West. I think we both think they're the best on, on their side of the conference. So the loser of this game, if they go and win out, which again is a tough task, Georgia still has to play Florida, Alabama still has to play LSU and Auburn. So they do have games where that they could lose. But if the, both these teams go undefeated after this game, 
they will meet up in the SEC title game and the team that loses will have a chance at revenge. The team that wins will have a chance to put the other team out for the season, presumably. So, you know, both teams could still make the playoff, even if they lose this one, especially if they come back and win the, uh, the, the title match at the SEC title game later this year. But again, I will take Georgia in this one. Yeah, and, and like you said, I, I have this feeling that this is a preview of the SEC championship game. Um, and, you know, it'll just be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it. All right, now, this game, uh, this is these are two of my favorite, like, smaller schools here. Western Kentucky at UAB. UAB is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Last week, Western Kentucky got the doors blown off them uh, by Marshall, 38-14. to 14, At one point, trailing 38 to nothing. Caleb, who you got? I'm taking UAB, regrettably. You know, 14-point line, two-touchdown line. Sounds about right. It might even be more than that. Western Kentucky just has not lived up to, you know, they weren't going to be like a, a top 25 team or anything like that. But I think they had visions of being at least in the Conference USA title game. And those are clearly gone at this point as they're, I think, 1-3 or 1-4 at this point of the season. So I'll take UAB to win this one rather easily. Phil, who you got? Yeah, the Hilltoppers at, at Western Kentucky just are not playing good defense. I mean, look at that. They were trailing 38 nothing, and this isn't the first time where they've done this. Uh, it's just, like you said, it's not their year, and so uh, it pains me. But it also doesn't pain me because, and I think I say this every time we pick a game that has UAB in it, I just love the story. Love it. They were, they were terrible, terrible. Football team or football program got canceled, brought back, and now here they are playing good football. Yeah, you know, you said it about a two-touchdown line, and I think that's good too. I, I see UAB winning this, though, by at least 20. Final game on the docket here. Number five, North Carolina, a 13-point favorite on the road at Florida State. Florida State is just 1-3 and three on this season with their lone win being at Jacksonville State which they trailed at halftime. Their losses have been due Georgia Tech, Miami, and Notre Dame. So Miami and Notre Dame, definitely two good losses. Georgia Tech is a team that Florida State thinks they probably should beat. Phil, who you got? Yeah, and, and this was a stat that you pulled out earlier. Florida State leads this uh, series 15-3-1 all-time over UNC. I think it's about to be 15-4-1. I, I think UNC continues to be a drastically better football team. Florida State, I think, has gone through three quarterbacks this season. It's just a mess at, uh, at Tallahassee for the Seminoles. And so, yeah, Tar Heels are, are going to, you know, beat the tar out of uh, out of Florida State. Caleb, who you got? I'm taking North Carolina as well. I do think Florida State put up a decent fight against Notre Dame. They lost by 16, but there were some parts in there, especially in the second quarter, where it was it was relatively close. I think they finally settled on their quarterback. I think his name is Jordan Travis, their third quarterback of the season. I think he seems to be the best option for them right now, and I'm assuming we'll get the start against North Carolina. But Sam Howell, Chaz Surratt on defense, and Mac Brown will be too much mm-hmm. for the Seminoles. Yeah. It's a good show, Caleb. Yeah, it was. It's uh, it's hard to believe that we are already looking at like the halfway point of the season. As, and again, it's just awesome, especially since you know we weren't expecting to have a season at one point. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's good stuff. Want to go ahead and uh, take a moment to thank the listeners for tuning in. You know, as as a couple of uh, 
couple amateurs that just love talking college football. I know Caleb and I enjoy this a lot, and we hope you enjoy it as well. So thank you for tuning in. We'd love for you to share it with your friends, and uh, you know, at the very least, uh, either reach out to us on Twitter or or something so that you know we know you're listening. And we can uh, chat with you more and talk about the sport that we all love so much, and that's college football. Caleb, any final words of wisdom before we sign off? Go Penn State. <laughs>